So the first two classes we were working with uh, alignment, posture, balance, relaxation. And these are not trivial things. They seem like, you know, that's the simplest thing in the whole world. But the reality is, is, is that the more we have a subtle understanding of our posture and are working with a posture that's aligned and in balance, then there's a really strong correlation between that and the impact that it has on our breath and the impact that it has on our mind. And so being able to sit in a posture that's upright and relaxed where the sacrum is in the right relationship with the spine um, is very supportive. And I'd be curious to know if any of you checked in during the day while you were walking or while you were sitting just to notice if there was any alignment with posture that you were attending to and just noticing like when you're not doing that, the way in which the muscles tighten up and the mind starts to stress. And then when you do sit like that, how much more the breath naturally flows and the mind opens up and things relax. So ideally what happens in meditation is, is, is that we take things from just being a class to being a, a lifestyle. Because with anything, the more we do something, the more benefits that we get. So I want to step back a bit and then talk again about an overview about why meditate, what's the point of meditation, and then open it up again from the foundation of um, some of the specifics. Something's not very happy with the system, but I'm not sure what it is. Anyway, we'll all survive. Um, when we look at what's going on in a bigger picture with the world, you know, there's all kinds of lovely things that are happening in terms of innovative stuff and creative endeavors and people are galvanizing around wholesome efforts and actions and intentions and there's all kinds of stuff that's not so lovely in terms of, you know, we've got a culture of people where the, one of the leading causes of death right now is obesity. And um, we've got uh, a culture where people are very much obsessed with getting stuff as a way of validating their existence and their right to be in this world. And we've got all kinds of other problems that are going on right now. And even if we, each of us ourselves, were to take a piece of paper and write on the paper, you know, the things that we know we like or the things that we value, and, and I don't think that that by itself would be very difficult. I think what would be more challenging is, is that when we are, when we are, try that, okay. From this, is that better? Okay. Um, when each of us, we might have a very clear list of our intentions and our own sense of integrity about what we like to do and what we don't like to do, and it's clear, and we're able to navigate it in a certain spectrum, but when we get too frustrated or too tired or we haven't had enough food or we don't have enough sleep, then our capacity to navigate those uh, that parameter is much, much reduced. And so part of what we're interested in meditation is learning how one to know the mind and the other is to shape the mind and the third is to transform the mind. And part of the reason why we're interested in that 
is because in the Buddhist teachings, welcome Kala, come on in. Yeah. Mind is the forerunner. So when there is an intention of uh, health or wholesomeness, that will lead into a certain result. When there's an intention to unwholesomeness or unskillfulness, that will follow with the result. So mind is considered the forerunner of what uh, transpires afterwards. And so in, in some ways you can say that the Buddhist teachings is, is more a mind doctrine than it is a uh, religious doctrine because it's giving you instructions on how to work with the mind. So when we're looking at knowing the mind, um, one of the things that's important to understand is, is, is that, you know, when we look at what's going on in the world in a larger scale, we can see that there's probably a lot more harm that comes from simple ignorance than it does come from a, a blatant intention to cause harm, you know? And, you know, I can see it in myself. It's just not being able to focus clearly enough on what's going on to that is often the reason why I don't catch um, the conglomeration of input and being able to decipher and sift and sort it fast enough so that I can have a clear response to it. So it's not that I come forward with an intention of harming. It's just that I don't have a mindfulness that's sharp enough to be able to filter through everything that's arising when it's coming so that I can have a clear response to it. So when we're knowing the mind, when that first component of why meditate, knowing the mind, it is the ability to um, understand what's actually coming at us and being able to sift and sort so that we can work with it in a way which is suitable and skillful. So the knowing the mind component in meditation is based in two basic fundamental kinds of categories and one is bare attention and the other is clear comprehension and together the two of these is what forms our capacity to know and work with what's arising and they're both really important. And so bare attention is the ability to, um, to slow down and to separate out what's actually going on. Bare attention has the ability to know what's arising in the present moment. It separates data from reaction to data. It separates what's immediately arising from what I feel about what's arising. And this allows for more maturity and congruency with the decisions that we make in the way that we're responding to what's going on, okay? So if, if it's not slowed down, if we have it at the kind of speed that it normally comes at us, then it feels too quick. And there can be an emotional reaction which is disproportionate to the data, but if we don't have a way of sorting that out, if we don't have a way of discerning what's what, then we just react with the emotions rather than use discernment to go back and investigate what the actual data is. 
So bare attention has the capacity to slow down. Bare attention lives only in the present moment. Bare attention allows consideration. And so if the interferences of what we're dealing with uh, are not congruent, then this supports the way in which bare attention shapes the mind because there's a discerning quality that is able to notice the inputs that's arising and the instincts that we have and the ones that are skillful and the ones that are not skillful. If we don't have any discerning mechanisms to figure that out, then everything is lumped together and it feels like whatever arises is what we need to respond to. But certainly we can see that there's lots of times where our instincts and our impulses are not useful ones to respond to. So we need to have a clear mechanism for being able to figure that out. And bear attention is one. So the ability for bear attention to rest in the present moment is part of the reason why it helps us cut through our tendencies for daydreaming, for solidifying the past, for imagining the future, and for living in this kind of nebulous realm where that's a lot of what we're doing, hanging out in the past or imagining the future, but we're not actually connecting with the present. Now, because bare attention is about slowing down and being only present, then this is the quality of attention which is usually practiced and cultivated in our formal meditation practice. Because in our ordinary life, oftentimes we are not slowing down enough to be able to differentiate these different things. So, bare attention is a little bit like a house cleaner. Now, I'm not that smart with computers, so when I was gifted this computer that I have, I was glad to have it, but I wasn't given instructions on how to take care of it. And so it was getting slower and slower and slower and slower, and all kinds of things weren't working very well. And then finally I got some tech support, and they very casually mentioned that I had over 3,000 documents in the temporary folder, and many of them had viruses and all kinds of other things in them, and that it might be useful to clean it out. Well, I didn't have any objection, it's just that it never occurred to me that that kind of maintenance would be something that's useful. So when we have something like a computer, it accumulates stuff unless we clear it out. Well, a mind is similar. It will accumulate stuff unless there's a process of clearing it out. And bare attention is one of the tech support systems for our own internal um, computer system. It cleans the desk. Because when we're focusing on the present moment, it clears our capacity to think about the past and the future. And because it, 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 it filters the kinds of things that we, that we know that we need to pay attention to, in terms of the instincts that arise and which ones are really important for us to, to focus on. The other thing that bare attention does is it brings a liberation of the mind by beginning to help us come into right relationship with things. So ordinarily, 
Ordinarily, our response is, is to react to whatever is arising. But when there's the capacity to discern what's arising and get a sense of what is needed to, re- to relate to it, we move out of a relationship of reactivity and we move into a relationship of engagement and responsiveness. And part of that relationship is based on seeing things clearly. Clear comprehension or sampajanya is applicable in as a process in all parts of our life. So ideally what happens in meditation is, is that we bring the application of what we're doing in meditation and it begins to suffuse bit by bit when we're washing dishes, when we're cooking, when we're walking, when we're driving, when we're doing our work, when we're on the telephone, when we're speaking on the cell phone, when we're texting our ability to drop in and know what's happening and being able to respond from a clear, grounded, and aware place is something that starts to suffuse more and more of our life. So what that means is is that the clarity of bare attention is added to the purpose of clear comprehension so that clear comprehension is wisdom based on attentiveness. There's four kinds of clear comprehension. The clear comprehension of purpose, of suitability, of domain, and of reality. The clear, po- the clear comprehension of purpose is to know that one's action and speech is congruent with your integrity. So that's the ability to discern it. Is what I'm going to say, is what I'm going to do actually in accordance with what I value? And you know, we've all had situations where somebody said something that was upsetting and there's an emotional response and the initial feeling is to want to say something that's hurtful okay or to say something that's a little bit condemning of that person or slanderous of that person but the feeling arises and then you know have you ever noticed catching yourself and then just pausing it's like the thoughts there you're about to say it but you catch yourself and you don't That's clear comprehension of purpose, where there's a recognition that what you're about to say is not congruent with what you what you're about, what you value, what you want, how the way you want to live. You know, and sometimes it's really awkward because you're in the middle of this whole thing, and then all of a sudden you stop short, and it's like you're hanging over a cliff. You know, and then you just have to acknowledge the fact that's not skillful. I'm going to stop right here because what I was about to say is not skillful, and I don't want to do that. Suitable object is right response, right object. So when our meditation is going to now, after this class, start opening up into other fields, in any situation we have a choice about where we place our attention. And, and the choice that we make, the suitable choice that we make, is helps us bring forward a suitable response. And that will be like the whole like part of what these next classes are going to be on, how that works, how we choose which object we pay attention to, and how that choice supports a right response to it. Suitable, uh, a clear comprehension of domain is by bringing meditation into everyday life. 
And so if you have determined working with your breath or concentration or relaxation as something that you're focusing on, then just to notice that during while you're driving, to notice that when you're walking to the bathroom, to notice that when you're in the shower. So make it so that it becomes something that's focused on more and more. And clear comprehension of reality is to see things according to the nature of how they really are. And so for many of us, we love to see things as permanent and lasting and satisfactory and having some kind of inherent lasting nature. And that's not in accordance with the reality of how things are. Things are changing. There isn't anything that is conditioned which is inherently satisfactory. And there isn't anything that has a permanent, non-changing, abiding entity that we can label as, uh, you know, that book, that's, the, that's the table, or that is the book, or that is the tree. It's com a composite of many different changing circumstances. So when we can see things in terms of the reality of what it is, then that supports our ability to work with meditation as a process of transformation. So many people come to meditation for a gazillion different reasons, and it isn't as if anyone is right or wrong. But one of the incredible powers of meditation is its ability to transform. So if we look at a, at a caterpillar, it will create a chrysalis and go through a process. And once it's gone through that process and emerges as a butterfly, it cannot go back and become a caterpillar again. Well, the process of meditation is similar. When we have uprooted certain things fully, we don't regrow them. They are not there again to be reestablished. And so the process of transforming the mind is the process of liberating the mind. And that liberation, when it's taken to a certain degree, is not reversible. It can't, you can't go back. You can't go back and be um, ignorant and stupid and foolish and hateful and, and not care about anybody or anything other than yourself. So if those are things that you really are looking forward to, <laughs> then meditation might not be the best choice. <laughs> and I can remember, I mean, a long stretches of time where I wish I could just drink, you know, a six-pack of beer, stuff my face with popcorn and watch football, and it's like, call it quits. It's like, you know... If I could just turn the dial back and be back in a situation where I wasn't as conscious and sensitive and as aware and feeling as I was. So all of this sets the foundation for being able to work with objects of meditation. And the objects of meditation are to know the body, to know the feeling, to know the states of mind, and to know the mental contents. So this, once again, is an overview of why we're taking such a long time with the first level, because there's an awful lot to know 